Hello, Sobertown, and welcome to the Sobertown podcast. Please climb aboard the sober train with myself, Polly, and my sober sister, Karina, for a wonderful ride into the world of sobriety and our views on how we are doing this journey. Hi, Karina. Hi, Polly. We spoke a little while ago, and one of the topics that came up was a book. And I did a pod, small podcast on Friday and said that you and I would meet again and discuss this book. And I have desperately been trying to get into this book and read it and get some insight into how this book is affecting you. What have you got from this book or what do you relate to in this book? Um, I write, relate to quite a lot of it. Some of it, I don't relate to all of it, but I think we're all going to have sort of parts that we relate to in things, you know, but it's about taking the bits out that that work for us, and um, which do things for us. I think that the biggest thing that struck me was I'm not alone. I'm not a misfit. I'm not an odd one out. Um, I too, like many, many other people, have been put into a cage and found myself caged and found myself trying to break free of a mould that has been made for me. Um, and for me, that was it was quite reassuring, really, to look at how, how we can be caged how we can be molded um how can we can be told what to think what to do how to breathe how to eat you know and and as soon as we're born almost um be dictated how our life's going to be and what turn that's going to take um and you know even back from sort of whether you're a girl or a boy and what clothes you're going to wear or what toys you're going to play with um i can relate to that because um you and I spoke uh, just before we started this podcast. And like you say, um, not all parts of this book I can grasp. <clears throat> and that totally relates to the way I was raised in some ways. Um, I was raised differently to how she was raised. But yes, I was, I was put into a mold. I was put into what was expected of me. I was the eldest girl in a family. So I was expected to be a mini mum, an adult before I'd finished my childhood. So quite heavy expectations. And I think that happened in that generation. And I think it is a generational thing. Um, No, that's wrong because there are children today who are carers Mm. at such a young age. So that was an unfair thing to say, really. But yeah, I was I was put into um, a cage, a mold, whichever we want to call it. The I was expected to help. I was expected to look after the children that were below me. So there were expectations on me. So yes, I was caged. Yeah. From a young age, into yeah. and the expectations were always there. Yeah, and I think the same for me, sort of growing up, it was the expectation, although my mum worked, it was the expectation that, that um, you know, that the woman still come home and, and sort of did the housework and she still cooked and blah, blah, blah. And and to me, I have one sibling who's six years younger than me. So there was an expectation that school holidays and that while my parents were working, that I would be, be looking after 
him and but there was also an expectation from a very early age that I was a girl so I needed to wear girls clothes and I've been a tomboy my whole life I'm much more comfortable in a pair of jeans and I am a frilly skirt so um you know sort of so straight from the word off there's an expectation about sort of how gender how it be yeah a gender expectation yes mm-hmm. and thank heavens in a lot of ways nowadays it's it's it, it's moving away from what it was mm. in our generation. Yes, girls wore dresses. Um, jeans were never heard of for a girl. It was dresses okay. and then uh, ankle socks in the summer and long socks in the winter, uh, knee length socks in the winter and ankle socks in the summer. And, yeah, you know, the, your best clothes going to church. And then the boys, the expectations with the boys were trousers and a, and a, a, and a t-shirt shirt whatever so and school uniforms even today with school uniforms I mean there is a a lot of changes based about around um, religious beliefs into how children dress at school but I don't know about you but when I was at school it was a school uniform and it was one uniform for the girl and one uniform for the boy yeah yeah so yeah preconceived Definitely, definitely. And, and you know, even to the fact that, um, I, and things again are changing, but when I was growing up, it was, you know, the girls that wore makeup. Um, and then that, that changed as well, which was, you know, it's good. But when we think back to nature, um, you know, a lot of the pretty birds and the pretty animals are the males that are the beautiful colours. <laughs> you know, we are probably the Show only <laughs> We are the only species oh, where females it doesn't, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't change, does it, between species? It's always the male that's the the peacock. Wow, the peacock, yes, the big the, yeah. the prettiest of the lot, the peacock. Yeah. Um strutting. But hey, us girls can strut. <laughs> we can, we can. But interestingly enough, as well, there's there's a part in the book um whereby and, and the book we're talking about is Untamed, Stop Pleasing, Start Living by Glennon Doyle um and there is a bit in there that she actually says that she found herself taking a dislike to a woman and a lot of the other mums around were taking seemed to be taking a dislike to this woman and actually when she checked herself and worked through it it was actually because this woman was holding her head high was very positive was very assertive and actually it made um it ruffled their feathers a bit and she was because that's not what they expect of of a woman or a woman's place to to be and that actually in itself can make other women feel uncomfortable um it's it with a lot of uh, women i think we struggle to measure up and <clears throat> we don't need to be beaten up by anybody because we can beat ourselves up really really well you know mm. and um we are the worst at measuring ourselves against other people yeah I think, yeah. um, and we we look and we say, oh, well, she's doing really well. She's nice. She's good. Mm. But someone will probably look at us and say, well, she's doing really well. She's nice. She's good. We never see ourselves as other people see us. Um, no. And someone who is powerful can make others feel less than sometimes. And that's a little scary. 
yeah it was quite interesting in the book it's one bit that I did like um because I very much like the, the very beginning the first half of the book I loved the second half you know that I could sort of get take or leave really um but I, there agree. Was a really I agree yeah yeah there was a really interesting bit that I did like with her checking herself and the actual whole thing is titled boys um and actually it might be quite apt if I just quickly read some an excerpt from this bit here at this point um and it said it said that um I've been raising my daughters to be feminists since they were in utero utero sorry I knew the world's training would begin the second they were born and I wanted them to be ready Ready meant having an internal narrative about what it means to be a woman that they could weigh against the world's narrative. I did not have an alternative narrative as a child. So when the world told me that a real girl is small, quiet, pretty, accommodating and pleasant, I believed that this was the truth. I believed in those lies and they made me very sick. Children are either taught by the adults in their lives to see cages and resist them, or they are trained by our culture to surrender to them. Girls born in a patriarchal society become either shrewd or sick. It's one or the other. I wanted my girls to know this. You are a human being and your birthright is to remain fully human. So you get to be everything. Loud, quiet, bold, smart, careful, impulsive, creative, joyful, big, angry, curious, ravenous and ambitious. You are allowed to take up space on this earth with your feelings, your ideas, your body. You do not need to shrink. You do not need to hide any part of yourself ever. It's a lifelong battle for a woman to stay whole and free and a well hell-bent on caging her. I wanted to give my girls whatever they need to fight for their full humanity. Truth is the only weapon that can beat the pervasive lies that this world will tell them. World will tell them. And then she goes on, she said that um, five years ago, she just um, was pottering around and, and she heard the, the news and all of a sudden on there, there was sort of lots of reports about sort of um, boys and men um, in the news and people being sort of raped, you know, boys being raped. Um, there was a shooting at a school. There was sort of, um, yeah, all sorts of like, 35-year-old veterans come to PTSD, lots of different stuff all around men. And she suddenly thought, oh, this is what it looks like for boys to try to comply with our cultures and directions. They are not allowed to be whole either. So she's a, a staunch feminist, um, really, Glennon Doyle, and she's raising her girls to be feminists. And then she suddenly has this realisation that actually boys are caged too, and she has a son herself. She said, boys who believe that real men are all powerful will cheat and lie and steal to claim and keep power. Boys who believe that girls exist to validate them will take women's rejection as a personal affront to their masculinity. Boys who believe that open, vulnerable connections between men is shameful will violently hate gay boys. Boys who believe that men don't cry will become men who rage. And boys who learn that pain is weakness will die before they ask for help. Um, and I, she said... Go and, ahead. No, go ahead. And I, I just thought it was, it was good for her to then recognise that actually that it's not just girls that are caged, that we are all caged um which kind of goes back to her opener of the book if people haven't read it she describes a cheetah at a zoo who has to sort of run after this pink fluffy bunny taped onto the back of a, a jeep and he prances proudly doing so um whilst everyone's watching and then has to go back in to her cage and looks quite sad and the whole 
the, the theory is is that that actually her wild is still out there. She can still see her wild, and she is is trapped. But actually, it's not just a male and female thing. It is all of us in life. I when you read that to me when we were in the podcast, um, the one way I related to that because I try and relate to the journey I'm on. Um, and to me, it related to the times that I'd managed to break away from alcohol. I'd gained that amount, that little bit of freedom. Then mm. I put myself back in a cage. I put myself back in the cage. Nobody else put me back in it. There was, you know, it's choices at the end of the day, isn't it, with a lot of life. And I chose to go back into the cage. Um, I'm out of the cage and the, I slammed the door behind me. You know, I'm not opening that cage back up again. I'm not going back in there. I wouldn't say I was wild. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have freedom, which I think when you break the chains of alcohol, the freedom you gain is immeasurable. Um, the freedom from the stress. And I mean, she talks about her own addictions because yeah. she only broke her addiction when she found out she was pregnant the first mm. time. And um, she was talking about um, going to her first AA meeting when she was six days sober. She, and she said, um, I'm Glennon. I've been sober for six days and I feel awful. And I think this awfulness is why I've started drinking in the first place. I'm starting to worry that what was wrong with me wasn't the booze. It was what was underneath. It was me. And I think that's what a lot of people, when they drink, it's not the booze that's the problem. The booze is used as the crutch because um, usually the problems within ourselves we hurt, we're in pain, we've got things that distress us, we can't face, things frighten us. Um, after all, it's a big scary world out there. Yeah. Um, and we used alcohol to make ourselves acceptable a lot of the time, um, to fit in, as we say, now we enjoy being misfits. I love being a misfit. I revel in being a misfit. And um, she goes on to say, it doesn't seem like being alive is as hard for other people as it is for me. It just feels like there's some kind of secret to life that I don't know, like I'm doing it all wrong. And thanks for listening. Afterwards, she said, one of the ladies walked over and sat by her and said, thanks for sharing. I relate. I just wanted to tell you something that someone told me in the beginning. It's okay to feel all of the stuff you're feeling. You're just becoming human again. You're not doing life wrong. You're doing it right. If there's any secret you're missing, it's that doing it right is just really hard. Feeling all your feelings is hard, but that's what they're there for. Feelings are for feeling, all of them, even the hard ones. You know, and I, 
we get scared when when things hurt we don't want to feel that hurt we we want to pull back from a hurt it's it's like when I lost my husband um it took me three months to accept that he was actually gone because I really struggled to face that kind of hurt because it's um it's a deep hurt and I don't I've never I've never really suffered with a lack of confidence (laughs) (laughs) um I don't I my drinking wasn't to fit in my drinking was to just shut shut the world out in a way um so as I could go to sleep and in the end there was no sleep it was false but um like I say there are some parts of this book I can really relate to and there was there was an incident with her children when she took them and they were going to get their ears pierced and she was she talks about how she raised her children and her one older daughter it seems like she's the gentler of the two and the younger is the tomboy by the sounds of what goes on in this book and I think I can totally relate to her youngest daughter she's like a little rebel she's okay as she is she accepts herself as she is um and they went to get their ears pierced and the older daughter after the the youngest one ran and jumped in the chair and let's get on with it come on pierce my ears sort of thing Mm. and she was all brave and held every muscle tight and let the lady pierce her ears and Glennandor said she could see a little tear in her her, her daughter's eye she wouldn't express the pain that the, the ear piercing was giving her and then the younger girl jumped out of the chair and encouraged her older sister and said, your turn, your turn. And the, everybody turned around and, said, and the, the lady who was doing the ear piercing turned around and said, yes, it's your turn now. Come on, be as brave as your little sister. Mm. And the older girl didn't want it in the end. No, no. And the one thing uh, that I took away from that was when, Glennandor told her daughter to carry on being herself. It was okay. Mm. It's okay. Yeah. It was okay. You know, yeah. and I thought that was so I thought that was a great a great way to deal with a situation like that. Because everybody's saying, Oh, be as brave as your sis- little sister. Look at her. She's your little sister. She's being brave. Yeah. I, and I, I, I don't like that. There's a, there's a big saying over here as well. It's about like man up, you know, men don't cry and stiff up a lip. And, mm-hmm. and I, I don't, you know, that, that's really difficult. And, and coming back to what you were saying about, about pain. Um, yeah, we do drink a lot to block, block pain and, um, and to try, I think we get hurt and we get in pain because of the situations we find ourselves in life. Um, one of the parts of the book is where she's she's done quite a lot of research and um, she says that 10 is the, the age really that we start to learn that um, how to become good girls and real boys. 10 is when children begin to hide who they are in order to become what the world expects them to be. Right around 10 is when we begin to internalise our formal taming. 10 is when the world sat me down 
told me to be quiet and pointed towards my cages. And for her, these cages were, um, these are the feelings you're allowed to express. This is how a, a woman should act. This is the body you must strive for. We still see that all the time, don't we, in the magazines, mm -hmm. on their own walkways. These are the things you, you will believe. These are the people you can love. Those are the people you should fear. This is the kind of life you are supposed to want. Make yourself fit. You'll be uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Eventually, you'll forget you're caged. Soon, this will just feel like life. I wanted to be a good girl, and so I tried to control myself. I chose a personality, a body, a faith, and a sexuality so tiny that I had to hold my breath to fit myself inside. Then I promptly became very sick. And for Glenn, Glenn the, the sicknesses that she had was she had bulimia at quite a young age, and then she went on to be addicted to alcohol and prescription drugs. Yeah. Um, and when she wrote the book, she'd been 18, 18 years clean, which is amazing. Um, and she, um, you know, she wrote something about pain, which I really like. I'm just looking through to find it. So I did. And I, and I read this out. This is one of the things that I read out in one of the ladies groups, because we drink um, to block pain and then we yes. stop drinking. The pain comes through and we can't stand it. So we drink again. And each and it's a, like a vicious circle. And we find ourselves on a, a roundabout of pain and drink and grief. So she wrote, in the past 18 years, I've learned two things about pain. First, I can feel everything and survive. What I thought would kill me didn't. Every time I said to myself, I can't take this anymore, I was wrong. The truth was that I could and did take it all. And I kept surviving. Surviving again and again made me less afraid of myself, of other people, of life. I learned that I'd never be free from pain, but I could be free from the fear of pain, and that was enough. I finally stopped avoiding fires long enough to let myself burn, and what I learned was that I am like that burning bush. The fire of pain won't consume me. I can burn and burn and live. I can live on fire. I am fireproof. Second, I can use pain to become. I'm here to, become, to keep becoming truer, more beautiful versions of myself again and again forever. To be alive is to be in a perpetual state of revolution. Whether I like it or not, pain is the fuel of revolution. Everything I need to become the woman I'm meant to be is next inside me, myself, of my feelings of now. Life is alchemy and emotions are the fire that turns me to gold. I'll continue to become only if I can resist extinguishing myself a million times a day. If I can sit in the fire of my own feelings, I will keep becoming. And that, for me, really sums up sobriety, um, that, you know, I kept dousing my flames. Every time I felt pain, I kept dousing it with more and more alcohol. And since I've stopped drinking, I have been through so many emotions, as I think we all have. Um, uh, but it's learning to accept that actually it's okay. Pain will not kill us. It is okay. It's not uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's not nice. It's not the best. But actually, once we work through it, it it's okay. Yeah, I did. Um, I was listening to a meditation story um, on one of my walks, and I did a post about it. And um, basically, the post was about facing fear. And it was about a young guy who is now a very 
pretty well-known motivational speaker, but he was in the diving team. And there was one dive that he could not get to grips with. Yeah. And he would be on the diving board high up and it wasn't the height of the diving board that scared him. He would go through the twists and turns of the dive in his mind and he would picture it, but he would always in his mind fall out of the dive. He would have this fear of losing control of the dive. And he would get to the end of the diving board and he would do his prep work and he would look and he'd be doing the dive through his mind. And then he would actually, he couldn't do the dive. He would turn and get down, walk all the way down the stairs, steps of the diving tower. And he did it several times. He went up, he went to the very edge, couldn't do it and went back. And in the end, his coach said, are you ever going to do this dive? And he did the dive. And the one thing that he, he said that um, he took away from it, once you face your fear for the first time, it's really hard. It's like with pain. Once we go through that pain for the first time and learn how to work our way through it, fear, pain, whatever, the next time it comes along, it is not quite as difficult. It's like seeing a little child learn to walk. You watch them stumble, then those, they stand up and they wobble and then they plunk back down. <laughs> then up they go again and there's a few steps and then they wobble and eventually they're running along. And that's like everything in life. It, we stumble at the start. With pain, we feel this hurt and there is a tendency to step back from it. We don't want to feel this, you know, th mm -hmm. this is horrible. But then eventually we have to, we've got no choice. We do have to face it and we work our way through it so that the next time the pain comes, it's not quite as difficult to deal with because we've dealt with it once. We know what tools we can use to deal with this. We know what worked for us last time and you build on it each time till in the end, you gain your confidence in yourself yeah. and how you deal with things. It's no different to becoming, um, and, well, it's no different to any stages of our lives when we become a mom. Oh, my God. They hand <laughs> you this baby, whoosh. Well, a mom or a dad, you know, whichever, both parents. They hand you this baby and you think, okay, now what do I do? It is yeah. the scariest shit in the world when they give you this little tiny human being and you are meant to nurture it and yeah. guide it through its life. With a lot of the things we're reading in this book, with a good outlook on life, good principles, a good foundation. Um, some of the things we were taught as children, how many times did we say, well, I'm not doing that with my child. I didn't mm. like that, so I'm not doing that with mine. And we don't. And it's everything in life is is a journey, isn't it? Even pain. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I can I can relate to it. Yeah. And and I think that was funny when you said that about being given a baby and what do I do now? And it's scary. <laughs> and that just reminded me of my day zero, actually. 
of like suddenly this is something that's completely new I've got something you've got to nurture yourself you've got to nurture the journey and it's scary and I think um one of the the other reasons about that is that we fear what we're going to uncover about ourselves and um you know are we are we different what's wrong with us you know what's wrong with us why can't I be normal is the saying that we often say oh yeah they go to the pub and drink two pints of beer and they go home quite happily I go to the pub I come out absolutely wobbling all over the place and can't barely remember how I get home yeah yeah so what what's wrong with me and and one of the um other things that that I particularly liked in the Glennon Doyle book um was when she said she went on an Oprah Winfrey show and in a previous book that she'd written she'd written about being that she'd been born a little broken and Oprah asked her again um you know are you broken do you still feel broken and she says no I don't actually now that that's ridiculous and and I think for a lot of us we in sobriety or even while we drink we may feel we feel like we're broken we feel like our soul's broken we feel physically and emotionally broken and we worry that something is is wrong with us and and so I really like this which is that broken means does not function as it was designed to function a broken human is one who does not function the way humans are designed to function when I think about my own human experiences, what honest people have told me about their human experiences and the experiences of every historical and contemporary human being I've ever studied, we all seem to function in the exact same way. We hurt people and we are hurt by people. We feel left out, envious, not good enough, sick and tired. We have unrealised dreams and deep regrets. We are certain that we were meant for more and that we don't even deserve what we have. We feel ecstatic and then numb. We wish our parents had done better by us. We wish we could do better by our children. We betray and we are betrayed. We lie and we are lied to. We say goodbye to animals, to places, to people we cannot live without. We are so afraid of dying, also of living. We have fallen in love and out of love and people have fallen in and out of love with us. We wonder if what happened to us that night will mean we can never be touched again without fear. We live with rage bubbling. We are sweaty, bloated, gassy, oily. We love our children. We long for children. We do not want children. We are at war with our bodies, our minds, our souls. We are at war with one another. We wish we'd said all those things while they were still here. They're still here and we're still not saying those things. We know we won't. We don't understand ourselves. We don't understand why we hurt those we love. We want to be forgiven. We cannot forgive. We don't understand God. We believe. We absolutely do not believe. We are lonely. We want to be left alone. We want to belong. We want to be loved. We want to be loved. We want to be loved. If this is our shared human experience, where did we get the idea that there is some other better and more perfect unbroken way to be human? Where is the human being who is functioning correctly against whom we are all drudging our performance? Who is she or he? Where is she? What is her life if it is not these things? I, I'm not a feminist. I can't be a feminist. Um, maybe if I'd have had three daughters... I might have been a 
feminist and thought a little differently. That piece, it resonated with you, but I, it, it didn't with me so much. Mm. Um, I don't know why. I really don't know why. Um, what about that meant the most to you? Maybe if you explain yours, it'll make me think differently. I think sort of probably, I mean, it's nothing to do with feminism coming from me um, at all. Um, I think it's my experience of, of my life and of my professional life mm -hmm. and having spent years and years um, caring for and nursing people with mental health and physical health issues. Um, and just seeing, you know, time after time, you know, if I, if I had a penny for every time someone came into me and said, I just want to be normal, <laughs> I would be a millionaire um, because that's what everybody says. But what is normal? What is this perfect person that we're striving to be? Um, you know, a lot of it is all to do with media, advertising, what we're told, how we're supposed to behave, what we're supposed to do. Um, you know, and and it's just, I mean, for me also, um, because, you know, we're not broken. It, it's part of us. Um, we might feel fractured and broken, but if we're feeling fractured and broken, the whole point of that is that we're actually all feeling the same things. You know, um, I remember doing this great experiment once years ago and we had to sit, it was a room full of people. And we had to sit there with our eyes closed and had to imagine ourselves on an underground train lots of people next to us and really tune into how we were feeling and you know and, and sort of feels the anxiety that maybe that evokes in some of us and then eventually this whole room burst out laughing because the whole point was that what you eventually got, got after a period of time was that the person sitting next to you was feeling exactly the same <laughs> you know we're normal we're normal yes we're normal. We are normal. i mean i always i i don't I always say that, why is that word in the dictionary even? Because yeah. it what is, is normal. Yeah, that's what I mean. I don't like the word because we're all individuals. We feel differently. Mm -hmm. We act differently. We've been raised differently because you know, that my parents are not your parents. My yeah. parents' beliefs are not your parents' beliefs. Yeah. Um, so we're all raised differently, but we're all inside with the same thoughts, feelings and emotions. Mm. And I had a conversation with someone and I said, what is on the outside doesn't really matter. And it doesn't to me now. And I can say this at my great age because really and truly it doesn't matter to me anymore. Maybe in my 30s, 40s, it did because I think at that age, you're leaving your youth behind and your younger years and you're coming into a period of, okay, the kids are growing up. Now, who am I sort of thing? And you try and you get bombarded with the body image thing. So you do have that little bit there, I think in the middle. And then I've reached a point now where um, the outer shell doesn't bother me. My inside and how I think and feel is more important to me now. Yeah, but that, the only reason we ever feel that is because that's how we're told and how oh, it's yes. that we yeah. look and what we should do. Yeah, social media and there's there's a huge shift in social in in the media outlook of it now. And um, 
Yeah. Alicia Keys, as she said in this book, Alicia Keys turned around and said, I'm not going to wear makeup anymore. No, good for her. And and what I'm hoping is with that shift is that we're going to start shifting with the alcohol as well, with this conditioning that you're expected to drink. And, you know, when we give up drinking, it's like, well, you don't drink. What's wrong with you? Why are you not having a drink? You know, and um, as Craig Beck says, alcohol is the, the only um, drug that we have to make an excuse not to take. Yeah. Why do we um, have to justify the fact that we yeah. don't have a drink? drink yeah um we don't have a drink and that's our choices and why I don't have a drink is I will give you an explanation if you really want it but I choose to not have a drink Mm. if I say I've given up smoking which I have done people go yay great well done good for you if I say I've given up alcohol well why why can't you have a drink? Where's the difference? You know, and it's it, if I say I've become a vegetarian, it doesn't cause, yeah, the, no. you know, I don't understand why alcohol is viewed that way. And I think a lot of it is the portrayal of the alcoholic, you know, mm. someone who can't function without having a drink first thing in the morning and drinking all day. But a lot of people who have problems with alcohol don't drink every day and a lot of women who have problems with alcohol they're not everyday drinkers but they're binge drinkers Mm. yeah they may drink two or three times a week maybe not even two or three times a week but when they do drink they they go yeah um i don't know about you but the wine bottle was open and no you don't go to bed until the wine bottle is empty empty yeah it had to be empty Empty meant bedtime, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm. and it didn't matter the size of the bottle. Um, And if there were two bottles, okay, two bottles. Yeah. And I think that the old perception of the alcoholic, um, Skid Row, the old drunk in the gutter, you know, that's the horrible picture that is painted of someone who has an alcohol dependency. Yeah, but they are the minimal. They they are the, the, the least amount of people that have alcohol problems. You know, most of, most of them have not. Most of those people do have mental health issues as well. Yeah, yeah. And like us, they use the alcohol to self medicate. To self medicate. Yeah, and and to numb their physical pain, emotional pain, everything, because they're out on the streets. They haven't even got the basics. You know, if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we all need shelter. Mm -hmm. We all need warmth. We need Um, sort of food and water, and they don't have have that. But they they those people are, you know, the majority of people who are have problems with alcohol are not those people. They are the everyday people that you see going about get up go to work hungover you know pretending making people smiling at people no I and you're in the back of your mind I haven't Mm. got a hangover I haven't got a headache I don't feel like death look at the smile on my face Mm. you know I'm looking yeah and that's the yeah that's the ordinary everyday person who who Mm. who gets struggle who struggles with alcohol um and there are so many that don't admit it because to come off alcohol is to embrace the pain that we yeah. have had to face like she did 
she she had to face all that when she found out she was pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Unmarried, pregnant, early 20s, um, alcohol and prescription meds. Mm -hmm. A whole gamut of things to deal with. And she became sober. Um, I... I think we've all gone through pain at some stage in our lives and um, we've all dealt with it differently. Like I say, I dealt with it with alcohol. Um, I did a, a post, I did a podcast the other day, as you know, and I read a piece from this book that really resonated with me and I, I would, with it being Easter, I I don't know why, I'm, I had an emotional week last week, as we all do. And it's not just women that have emotional weeks. Men have emotional weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's this, we have to get away from this, men, women, them and us. Yeah. We are yeah. a we. We. We are. <laughs> we are a we. Solidarity. And we, do, we, are, we are all doing this together. And that's what makes it, it easier. Yeah, we've got our sisterhood. Because yeah. no disrespect to guys, us women have different emotional, we deal with things differently to the way a guy does. And that, a lot of that comes back to the conditioning and the upbringing. Guys are tough. Mm-hmm. Guys don't cry. Guys don't show emotion. You know, tough it mm-hmm. out. Man up, yeah. as you say. They're caged too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've all been put in our, how we got to behave, how it's acceptable to behave. Yeah, um, and it was just that piece um, that resonated with me, with it being Easter, with the way I was feeling that day. Um, I'd had the emotional week and something, and I could not break out of this emotion for some reason or other. I'd walked, um, usually when I walk in the mornings, I can cry if I need to. And I've got no fear of crying. I'm, um, anything can make me cry. I can listen to the lyrics of a song and I'll be in tears. You know, anything can make me cry. But for this, for some reason, this one day, I just, this day, I just couldn't. And then I had this little gift arrive and it was just the thought that someone had unknowingly sent me this gift at a time when I really needed it. It brought it home to me that, 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 Everything happens for a reason. Um, People come in and out of your lives at the right time. Things come in and out of your lives at the right time. And this gift arrived at just the right time and helped me break loose of the emotion I was feeling. And the night before I'd read this post, this uh, article, this passage in this book, and it just hit home with me and... At the end of the passage, as I read it, I'll read the passage again. Um, Every great spiritual teacher tells us the same story about humanity and pain. Don't avoid it. You need it to evolve to become, and you are here to become. Like Buddha, who had to leave his life of comfort to experience all kinds of human suffering before finding enlightenment. Like Moses, who wandered 40 years in the desert before seeing the promised land. Like Wesley from The Princess Bride, who said, Life is pain, Highness. 
Anyone who says differently is selling you something. Like Jesus who walked straight towards his own crucifixion, first the pain, then the waiting, then the rising. All of our suffering comes when we try to get to our resurrection without allowing ourselves to be crucified first. Pain is not tragic, pain is magic. Suffering is tragic. Suffering is what happens when we avoid pain and consequently miss our becoming. That's what we did with alcohol. <laughs> we put ourselves through tragic suffering because we couldn't face the pain. And it says the pain is magic. And um, I went through my crucifixion, which was to me my last day zero. Yeah. And it did just for some reason it just really resonated. I, I love that pain is not tragic, it is magic. magic. Um and I think, you know, sobriety is magic and, and you know, we're, we're finding that out now, aren't we, as we go along. I think the tragic, the tragedy part of it all is, is how alcohol is normalised in our society and um, how it is an expectation of, of that is what, you know, you grow up, that's another thing you're expected to do. Even to the fact that usually girl women drink wine and men drink beer yeah. um you know it was used to be frowned upon for a woman to drink a pint in a pub you know um so there's even that expectation of what you're going to drink and and like gin i was thinking about this the other day you know we used to call it mother's little ruin back in the 70s oh my god gin. yeah because in look the at 18th... how now they've re, now how they rebranded re gin how they've made it such a trendy popular drink haven't they you and know all, also um, in the 1800s, it was called Mother's Milk. Mother's Milk, God. Yeah. Because it was so cheap to make and it was so cheap to buy. And the streets of London were littered with people who just drank and drank gin. Mm. It, there was a huge, huge, and even children were drinking gin. Yeah. Because the poverty at that time, and I'm digressing a bit, but the poverty at that time was so bad, people could not face it. And here we go. It just goes to show that even in the 1800s, the same things were being faced and coped with, with alcohol. Pain was there, couldn't face it. Drink. Mm. I don't want to face this. I want it to go away. If I drink enough, by the time I come out of this, it'll be gone. No, it's twice as bad as we know. It's it's always going to be there to be faced at some point. And um, yeah, it was just so. I, it was just something that it, that I remembered that um, it was back a long, long time ago because gin was just so easy to make, and it was yeah. so cheap to buy. And women would just drink gin. They'd feed yeah. their babies, and yeah, babies were <laughs> yeah, and, and alcohol. And, and I mean, it originated, didn't it? Originally, all the brewing and that started because there was so much bacteria in water that alcohol came about in the first place because they needed something to kill off all the bacteria in the water. Yeah, and then we think, oh, that's great. Let's just pour it down our stomachs. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but. Anyway, I just, thought, I just got one more par 
chapter that I'd like to to read, if that's okay, which might sort yeah, of bring us to our, to our conclusion on that, was just that when I was a child, I felt what I needed to feel and followed my gut and planned only from my imagination. I was wild until I was tamed by shame, until I started hiding and numbing my feelings for fear of being too much, until I started deferring to others' advice instead of trusting my own intuition, until I became convinced that my imagination was ridiculous and my desires were selfish, until I surrendered myself to the cages of others, expectations, cultures, mandates and institutional allegiances, until I buried who I was in order to become what I should be. I lost myself when I learned how to please. Sobriety was my painstaking resurrection. It was my return to wild. It was one long remembering. It was realising that the hot electric thunder I felt buzzing and rolling inside was me, trying to get my attention, begging me to remember, insisting, I'm still in here. So I finally unlocked and unleashed her. I set free my beautiful, rowdy, true wild self. I was right about her power. It was too big for the life I was living. So I systematically dismantled every piece of it. Then I built a life of my own. I did it by resurrecting the very parts of myself I was trained to mistrust, hide and abandon in order to keep those others comfortable. My emotions, my intuition, my imagination, my courage. Those are the keys to freedom. Those are who we are. Will we be brave enough to unlock ourselves? Will we be brave enough to set ourselves free? Will we finally step out of our cages and say to ourselves, to our people and to the world, here I am. We said that the other day, here I am. And one thing here we she, are. Yes, here we are. <laughs> and one thing she says in that is imagination is planning. Yeah. And it is planning because um, dreams are planning. Sorry, dreams are planning. And how many times do we sit there dreaming of, oh, if we win the lottery, we're going to do this, 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 and this. You know, we all mm. have our dreams. And there was one thing um, after I'd read and did that podcast, someone within the group on I Am Sober, which is where we all, found our foundation into and our first steps into our baby steps into sobriety yeah. <laughs> where we found our wobbly legs. Um, there was a post put up yesterday in response to some of the things that um, we've talked about here and there's others, um, someone you like, Eckhart Tolle, Eckhart Tolle Tolle, mm. um, they tend to speak the same thing. And this person wrote uh, yesterday, this was yesterday was Saturday, waiting. And I'd done that piece on the crucifixion, the waiting, the rising. You, you, you do your post in I Am Sober in the hopes that it resonates with someone and someone can take just a little nugget and get some help from what you've put. It's, it's what we've all done from the time we came in. Mm. We read the posts in I Am Sober and we gather little nuggets of information and 
we go off and we do our Googling and um, all our little searches on Yahoo and all that. Okay, I read that. What does that mean? And off we go doing our little searches, etc. Which means someone did a post that means something to someone. So that's why we all do our posts within I Am Sober, hoping that we can help someone. And this post was so, so good. Waiting. Today is Holy Saturday, the day between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, the day between remembering Jesus's crucifixion and his rising from the dead, a day of waiting. I have heard Eckhart Tolle speak of waiting. Small and large scale waiting occurs daily from standing in line to desiring more from life. He says it is wanting the future, which creates conflict with the present. This leads to suffering. It is a state of mind we need to snap out of if we are to be at peace. I think this, just be in the now, be in the present. Yeah, yeah. This week, several of my friends brought me back to waiting. One person spoke eloquently of it in her post. Two others made indirect references to it. And another shared a passage from a book that blew my mind. This was the passage from yeah, just, um, yeah. Glennon Doyle's um, Untamed. At one point, I, are we not all waiting here in this community is the question. At one point, I was frustrated with my drinking. But then my sobriety taught me that my suffering served a purpose, forcing me to look for answers I might not have otherwise. Could my waiting be equally necessary too? Today, we are waiting. Whether you are religious or not, if you are here, then you are likely in transition, somewhere between the crucifixion and the ascension, the suffering and the rising above. Before a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, there is a period of waiting. Transformation, it seems, requires patience, requires waiting. And that was, to me, that was beautiful because just that one passage created so much thought. Mm. Um, and it's how you want your posts to be in to help people think and to help people grow and parts of this book I like I said some of it I found a little bit frou-frou for me but then that's the way I was brought up um, totally different to how she was brought up and I'm a great believer that we live many lives within our own lifetime. We go through different stages. Um, we're reborn into each stage sort of thing. And she puts a passage here that to me says it, that if I am living bravely, my entire life will become a million deaths and rebirths. My goal is not to remain the same, but to live in such a way that each day, year, moment, relationship, conversation, and crisis is the material I use to become a truer, more beautiful version of myself. The goal is to surrender constantly who I just was in order to become who this next moment calls me to be. I will not hold on to a single existing idea, opinion, identity, story, or relationship that keeps me from emerging new. I cannot hold too tightly to any riverbank 
I must let go of the shore in order to travel deeper and see farther, again and again and then again, until the final death and rebirth, right up until then. We are constantly in transition. We're changing yeah. all the time. As we know in these months we've been on um, a sober journey, gosh, I don't know how many times I've gone through different stages. Um, I've just been in a very emotional one. But I take great pride in that I'm coming out of it. And I'm coming out of it using my own resources. Yeah. Using myself and what I've learned along the way from others. I don't know how you feel about that one. Yeah, I think it is, is transition. It is all transition. It is a journey, isn't it? Um, and I think, you know, as you were saying that, that you're a great believer that we go through many different stages in our life. I, I, I'm of that same thought as well. But I'm also a great believer that we can't get everything we want out of one person in life, that we're all different. We're all individuals. <laughs> we all have our own normal. What What is our expectation of normal? How does that look to us? Not, not society, not what's expected. How does normal look and feel for us? What is it that we want to achieve? And I think in finding that, um, as you say, parts of the book resonated, other parts didn't with both you and me, but we cannot get everything from one individual. The same as we, you know, we have many different relationships in our life, different types of friendships, different sorts of relationships, because we get different things from different people. Um, and so we can't just, with our resources, we've got ourselves, but there are lots of other resources out there that we need to use. Um, and, you know, even if it's, even if it just take one little bit from a book, or from Guru, you know, if it's just one thing that resonates with Pema Chodron or Eckhart Tolle or Glennon Doyle or, you know, all these other ones, we know Catherine Gray, um, mm -hmm. Naked Mind Lady, I've forgotten her name. It's Naked Mind. Everyone be shouting at the podcast now. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I just said, uh, I just had a blank. Uh, Annie Grace, Fanny Grace, Annie Grace. Annie Grace, I wanted to say Fanny Grace then. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry, Annie Grace. Podcasts, different podcasts, the Sabre Town podcast, it's about and, and the posts that you've just spoken about, you know, it's about taking if we can just take something from you know from anything that we use to just to add to our toolkit to take out because sometimes, you know, there'll be times when some tools work for us and other days they weren't. Mm -hmm. You know, what works for me yeah. one day might not the next. So it's about building that up, isn't it? So you've got lots of different things that we can use. And that's the one thing we're learning um, in this is that, and we're seekers, I think. I think when you become sober, you become a seeker. You go looking all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know about you. I mean, I go down some right rabbit holes. You know, I'll start with one thought and the next thing I know, two hours later, I'm somewhere totally different yeah. because it's took me in so many totally different directions. But I am so enjoying that. Um, I'm discovering things I didn't even dream of before. You know, um, like with this book, it's not a book I would have picked up. No. You know, it's... it's um, and that's something because it was recommended. Well, it wasn't recommended. It was, it was used as a tool 
So we, you know, we say, okay, this is a tool. Let's put it in the toolbox. And like you say, not everything works. No. But there's quite a bit of it does. Yeah. And um, what you've just described about sort of, you know, your mind wandering and going with it and going down the rabbit holes. And, and this also is with her. She says about the knowing. It's about mm. tapping into our knowing and being still. And that's something that has resonated with me. So I know that, that you find meditation quite, quite yes. easy. I don't mm-hmm. find it particularly easy. I have a right monkey brain that just, whoa, you know, drives me batty at times. But what I do, and I've got a resistant brain. I mean, I work very highly on acceptance. I, I, you know, acceptance gets me through. But sometimes I do resist that anxiety and my, my monkey brain that's jumping around all over the place. So actually her little note about just being still. Um, rather than meditating that because as soon as you say I mean I, I love some of the Pema Chodron's um, podcasts mm-hmm. you know yes because she'll say you know she say right the first sort of impossible thing is get yourself comfortable yeah <laughs> you know that's it. and she makes humor out of meditation because it isn't that it is a practice it's not the for me it's not the easiest of things but um, I, I do like mindfulness I use that daily um, but um, that's just to walk and talk and eat, you know, because I because you've of, got health like, issues that, yeah, that make do it that, important to do that. But mm-hmm. but so what I like with the Glenn Doyle was just to just to be still, just to be still and tap into your knowing. Now, you probably do your walking, so you're not very still, but you are <laughs> tapping into your knowing. <laughs> I do. I mean, I find my walks very therapeutic. Um, and I said, I don't <clears throat> I'm. I'm not religious as such. I mean, I was raised Catholic. So um, church every Sunday, confession, well, confession every Saturday, church every Sunday, and every religious festival. And I think I I think I had it too much because Catholic school, Catholic church, catechism, Bible, all that. And when I got older, I turned away from it because there's so many other religions out there to explore. There isn't just one. And I'm not going to go into religion, but I'm just going to say that while I am not hugely religious, I believe in the, that, you know, the world was created. And it was created outside my front door. You know, I created this little world in here. Mm. But outside that front door was created by somebody greater power than me sort of thing. I could paint a wall, but I, you know, but I can't create the world in seven <laughs> days. <sort of> thing. <laughs> I'm pretty good at most things. I can climb ladders and install lights and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty damn stupid at, because at my age, I shouldn't be climbing ladders really. No. But um, no, I find my, I find my, I suppose my peace I find my peace outside in nature. Um, I'll play music, but I can actually sit and shut everything out. I, I don't know how I'm able to do it. I, I don't know if it's a gift or what, but I can sit and I can shut everything out and not hear what's going on around me. Hmm. Um and that's how I can meditate is that I, I'm fortunate that I can sit and shut it up. I've got my little space outside in the garden because once again, I 
maybe I should have been born a nomad with a camel or something and just wandered the desert. Who knows? Um, I think I was born in the wrong era. Uh, <laughs> an explorer or something. Um, I like my little space outside. And even though there is one irritating dog at the bottom of the garden who bark, 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 I can get to a point now where I can't hear him, where I can yeah. shut him out. And the noise doesn't irritate me. And that's when I find my little be still quiet. And you only need a couple of minutes to be still quiet to regenerate yourself. You don't need to take much time. She did it in her closet, Clement yeah. Doyle. She went yeah. into her closet. I've sat, yeah. um, I've been on, a lot of people don't know, um, one of my jobs when I moved to the States was to install equipment in hospitals. I went, I traveled the country, receiving and installing equipment in new hospitals. And sometimes during the day, it would get really overwhelming with so many vendors coming at me for so many questions and so many answers. And staff wanted to know, where did this go? Where did that go? And I would turn around and say, I'll be back in a bit. And I would go and I would find a quiet room in that building. And it was practically a building site, dirt on the floor and everything. And I would go and find a quiet spot and I would go and sit on the floor and just take 10 minutes. And for some reason it would revive me. And I've done a lot of that during this journey. Yeah. And I've taken a few minutes out and it's, it's revived me. Um, some people take a nice long bath. Yeah, I'll do that with my yoga sometimes. I'll use my yoga. and But it's interesting what you say about with your blocking out. And I suppose with me, this is where I find resistance makes things bad for me because I, I find it hard to block stuff out. Mm -hmm. So things like with your dog barking at the garden or the, the neighbour's dog, rather than blocking out because I find it hard to do that, I tune in. I tune into the bark. I'll make it make a song or something. I'm mm -hmm. one of these really weird people that love going for an MRI scan. I love an MRI scan. All those scan noises. <laughs> because I will lay there and I'll just tune in and make them sing and dance in my head. I just actually tune into them all. Um, one of the things that I find difficult, the, the worst, is at night, though. My mind is just going garrotty. So I used to always listen to stories and things like that at night. Um, or I will listen to meditation, to music and to, to guided meditation. And I've done my own guided meditation, you know. Um, but well, yeah, since you've got, um, haven't you got a YouTube A YouTube, video? yeah. Yes, uh, you've yeah, got a YouTube men video. Mentalization, um, mindfulness, yeah. Yeah. Um, and but since doing the Glennon Doyle, I, I found that I can I don't have to listen to stuff anymore of a night time. I can just be still. I don't know what it is. It's just something that book that's just made me just be still and just it's, tune in. It, it's, it's strange how just one little thing can have such an impact. And that one expression in that book has had an impact on you. Um, I remember a yoga teacher I had many years ago. And at the end of the yoga session, as you know, everybody does Shavasana, which is corpse mm -hmm. pose. And she would always say, she would start with the face to relax your face. 
And she would say, no angry eyebrows. And everybody's eyebrows would sort of relax. And once you start relaxing your face, your jaw relax, relaxes, which is where a lot of us hold our attention. Um, jaw, neck, shoulders. Mm. And a lot of people, when they start the meditation, uh, will start with the feet. I start with my head and I'll get into bed and I'll lie down. And it's because of practice. The same as with any of the practices we do in this, uh, on the sober journey, act, halt, any of those, it's, it's, it's a practice. And within seconds, I can relax the whole of my face. Mm. Yeah. And as I'm relaxing my face, I feel myself sinking to sleep. Um, just one person's input can have such an impact on us. Yeah, because we can be different as well, because I start with my feet because my feet are what ground me. They mm-hmm. ground me down to earth because if I'm using it during the daytime, um, you know, if I'm walking around and I need to suddenly ground myself, my feet are what's there rooting me to the earth. But so it's about, there's lots of techniques, isn't there? There's lots mm-hmm. of different ways, yeah. but it's finding Tools. the way that is right for you and utilizing it in the way that is right for you. There's no right, there's no wrong. It just is what's right for you. And we're all individuals and we're all our own normal yeah we are <laughs> i think so go you find are... your normal and say i am here here i am here i am <laughs> yes this is me what you see is what you get and i think yeah you and i will have to meet again and do what a podcast uh we've got several topics we've discussed that we, we are yeah exciting yes the fear of never drinking again might be mm. and from there we will deal with tools all the tools yeah um so you got me on the research wagon again i was on my research wagon this week doing um my friend amazon kindly delivered the book very quickly for me and yeah. i'm glad um it's an experience for me to to delve into other areas and I've thoroughly enjoyed it um I've enjoyed this chat also and me too I got an Good. empty I got an empty mug I know I have to, I'm going to have- make a normal cup of tea for my normal self <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy and that. <laughs> I will say just before we leave Karina and I have several ladies groups if anyone listening to the podcast today or whenever you listen to it needs a little helping hand reach out to us please you'll find us on IAS we will put our email addresses there Karina is Karina Dotty Pot and your milestone is uh triple juice triple oh yeah eight months tomorrow oh my gosh <laughs> I just remembered eight yes months congratulations yeah. eight months tomorrow I yeah. am Polly A and I'm 10 months yesterday look at us yeah. we are warrior women we are real warrior women but these warrior women need to get off this train and get another cup of tea because tea is life for us now and I've enjoyed this chat I really have reviewing me this too book. it's been great thank yep. you Thank you so much. And we will meet again and we will have another interesting topic. So I will go and do go down many rabbit holes, I'm sure, this week doing my research. Thank you, darling. (laughs) Enjoy. And you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.